uh, he comes back and blesses uh, his uh, his serves. Uh, the reason I chose the book of Revelation, not just a, you know studied before and uh, uh, you know war time before, it's a, it's a great book and uh, it has a lot of uh, meaning, a lot of benefits for us today in our daily life, whether we're thinking about the end of the world or not. The benefit of the book of Revelation is not just related to the end of the world, but it's for everyday use. Um, today, just you know, since you guys are used to slides, I decided to use some uh, slides today, so we don't break the habit. But next time, I'm going to have some uh, handouts, and we're going to go through these handouts basically, and maybe at the end we we'll put them together as a no, release them as some notes or, or something like that. Okay. Okay. So, what is the word? Uh, revelation uh, this is which book is this? is this the intro no this is chapter 1 that's not supposed to be it uh, ok so what is the book of revelation as we all know the book of revelation is one of 27 books in the New Testament. In the New Testament we have the four Gospels, the book of Acts, and uh, the book of the Acts is the history book in the Bible, it tells the history of the, the church immediately after the ascension of Christ. And then we have the 14 Poland epistle, which is letters from St. Paul to either cities or individuals. And then we have seven Catholic epistles, the three of St. John, two of St. Peter, and one of St. James, and one of St. Jude. And then we have the last book, which is the book of Revelation. This particular book can be considered as a door or a window for us to see what heaven is like. What, how are we going to live to heaven? We're here, we're struggling on earth, we're coming into church, we're fasting, we're struggling, we're not doing, you know, abstaining from sin, we're fighting against sin and all that. For what? What's in it for me? Why am I doing all this? Why should I keep struggling? Why should I continue to struggle? And what's the end going to look like? And how am I going to benefit there? Most of the events of this book actually do take place in heaven. And John is taken up to heaven to see these visions. And whether these visions take place on earth or take place in heaven, both he is in heaven while seeing all this. Uh, that was what I was in, you know, he always says I was in the spirit, you know, and more and more levels of spiritual uh, growth for him that he sees more uh, wonderful things than he des- described it to us. Yeah, he sees the ha- heaven and the inhabitants of heaven, he sees the throne of God, he sees the four, uh, you know, living creatures carrying the throne of God, he sees the cherubim, the seraphim, the angels the victorious church, he sees everyone there as well as he sees what's going to happen to us here on earth until eternity and the problems we go through. Some people, you know, when they look at the book of Revelation, they think it's, you know, strange and different from everything else. But in reality, it's very similar, a lot of similarities between this book and a lot of other prophecies in the Old Testament. For example, when Ezekiel so the throne of God in Ezekiel 1. We find that the description is very simple. 
for Daniel saw the Lord in his vision. Same thing, same vision, same way that the Lord appeared with, you know, white hair, you know, uh, bronze, you know, feet, fiery feet, and, and so on. Same description. Mm-hmm. And the call for repentance, constant call for repentance, and why the Lord is allowing all these problems to happen on earth. Why do I go through so much problems in my life and whatever? Maybe some of it also is the same way when Jeremiah was calling his people so they would repent and they have not repented yet. So more problems come forward. You're going to see the same exact philosophy or line of thinking in the book of Revelation as is on Jeremiah. So that shows that all the Bible from the beginning to end is all one unit written by one author, which is the Holy Spirit at different times but still carrying the same message and same you know same same you know ideas for us. So what is it? The book of Revelation basically is a declaration of events that will happen in the future. That, you know, started from the time of Saint John, you know, the apostle or Saint John beloved until the end of the world. It's gonna Describe all the major events that's going to happen until the end of the world. Some people say that these descriptions are repeated in different ways. For example, the seven churches, and then the seven, you know, seals, and the seven, you know, the uh, gamet, and so on, and the horsemen, and all these things. They are like a description of the history of the world multiple times, and some people differ in that. Um, we can see that also as a message coming from God assuring us of His constant love. We're going to hear about the, you know, the Antichrist, we're going to hear about all these, you know, the black horsemen, we're going to hear about all these awful things and, you know, a third of the world being wiped out and horrible, horrible things are going to happen. But at the same time, we are assured of one thing. God is protecting His children. Not one of them will fall or nothing will happen to any of his children without his knowing and without his approval. So if the world is going to bubble, so so be it. If there are going to be earthquakes, that's fine. If you know the Katrina is going to come in and it's going to hit and destroy everything and more of these are going to happen, who cares? God is taking care of me personally and he's going to make sure that nothing happened to me unless he allows it to happen. And that gives us a lot of assurance, a lot of comfort about our life. And we don't go around in our you know, daily life being afraid or scared of what will happen to us. Is this person going to affect me in my career? Am I going to be able to do this or not? It doesn't depend on people. It's all in God's hands. And that message is going to come very clear in the book of Revelation. It's also the book of praise. Uh, teaches us a lot about praise. We're going to see that. We're going to talk about what is praise, what is heaven, why do we see heaven differently than you know some other people who are promoting a different image of heaven. And it's not just Muslims, by the way. It's also some Christian sects. They uh, promote heaven in a different way than us. So we're going to understand what praise is and why should we praise, and what's the beauty of our church by organizing all this praise that none of us, all of us enjoy it. 
So why should we study this particular book? It's the last book in the Bible, so by the time we get there, it might be the second coming anyway. Why should we go ahead and hurry and study that book now? God wants to declare to us His will for the future. As we talked about that all these troubles that were happening, still God is in control. God allows these things to happen for a particular purpose. And he told St. John to write what he sees. He told him, you know, you're going to write this and you're going to send this message to the seven churches. You know, and every time something happens, he tells him to write. And only at some instances, he tells him, do not write this. So, the reason for writing these to assure us that Christ is coming again. Uh, during St. John, there were also some rumors, you know, when Christ said he's coming again, people thought, okay, and, you know, a few months or a year or so, the second coming is, you know, is happening. Then, you know, they didn't think that God's time is different than our time, and this time scale is a little bit different. So, they were, they told, started telling the Christians, look, where is your Christ? He said he's coming back. He he's not coming back. There's no second coming. And today, people are saying the same thing. It's been 2,000 years. Are these guys still waiting? He's not going to come back. In the book of Revelation, Christ assures us he's coming back. And he's going to come and he warns people about his second coming. If you are prepared, it's going to be a glorious coming. If you're not going to be prepared, better watch out. It's not going to be that uh, great. He also tells us what's going to happen. So we can believe in him and at the same time not despair. So when we see the troubles happening in front of us, well, God told me that it's going to happen before. So I can trust God more and more and at the same time I know what's going to happen afterwards. I don't only look at the problems and the disasters that are happening, but also I look at the salvation that the Lord has prepared. You go back into you know the book of Jeremiah and you know and so on when you see the the false prophets, they come and tell the king and you know wonderful things about what's going to happen. And Jeremiah goes and tells him that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is evil and it's going to be you know, horrible for the people of Israel unless you guys repent. So of course the king and everyone else believes the false prophets. But then Jeremiah challenged them. To, Look, you make a prophecy and I make a prophecy and let's see who's going to be right. And of course, for the prophecy to be true, it means that the person who's saying the prophecy is correct. And the person who sent that prophet is also correct. So people believe the prophet who says the correct things that will happen. And they believe the whole story, not just one event, but they believe everything. It also gives us a lot of answers, a lot of responses to a lot of modern heresies. Today, in the outside world, there's a lot of heresies. Unfortunately, these heresies, are also, some of them are being coming in to the church. Who is Christ? Is he really God or is he somebody else? And this is one of the heresies that started from the church from the beginning in Arian heresy and all that. And still until today in Jehovah's Witness and you know Mormons and all these people, all these heresies exist. And the book of Revelation answers that. And we're going to find proofs about the divinity of Christ and how he is equal to the Father in the book of Revelation. Also, the, you know, the common question is there an afterlife? 
are we all just going to die and that's it? Or are we going to have a different, you know, life? It's only going to happen to the righteous, or both to the righteous and to the evil. And what kind of life each of them will have? Okay. Are we God? Are we all like God? Are we going to be like God at the end? Right? Which is the theosis that, you know, this heresy that's going on these days. And unfortunately, when you read the Russian Orthodox, you know, books, some of the ch- books from the Russian Orthodox Church have some of these thoughts in it, so you may want to be, you know, careful that we, you, you know, be like God or be one with God and, and so on. We need to be careful when we read these things and filter them. The biggest heresy that's in America today and overwhelming to the Protestant Church is the rapture and the millennium reign. I'm sure you all heard of that, and we're going to discuss this in some detail, uh, you know, later on. And a lot more heresy that we'll cover on the way. It's not just about heresies and dogma, you know, a lot of the, you know, difficult stuff. It also talks about some basic day-to-day problems. Lukewarmness in our, you know, spiritual life. Uh, how come, you know, that uh, we have love, love, but we don't have, you know, action, and we don't do good things? How come that we feel that we're great, but we're not really good, and how God sees us that, you know, and, you know, sees us that we are blind, naked, and, you know, all these bad things in our spiritual life. So it also deals with a lot of spiritual problems that we have to be worried about, and we have to fix our heart quickly, so we don't end up to be... Uh, thrown out of the kingdom of God. So it, great, it has great lessons to all of us, you know, when we fall short in our spiritual life. We also help us understand a lot of, the, you know, things we do in the church. Why does Abuna wear white? Why do we have candles around the altar? Why do we do it here? Why do we, you know, why do the deacons, you know, are there? Why do we stand up this way? Why do we bow? Why, why and why and why? All these questions that we have about how we do in the church, or why we do things in the church, we're going to find the answers are coming in from the book of Revelation. So we're going to d- discover that our church, the Coptic Orthodox Church, is very biblical in every little thing we do. So when you go to church, the idea is after you study this book, you know, you come to church and you feel like you're in heaven. Yes, heaven, we're going to do this, but it might be, of course, on a lot larger and, you know, more grand scale, but we're going to be doing exactly the same thing. We're going to be praising, the, you know, almost the same way, and we're going to be happy in the same way as well. And we're going to be showing our love and, you know, reverence and fear to God in the same way in the church as is going to be in heaven. So our attitude in the church hopefully will be different after we study this particular <coughs> book. Another thing, you know, when we look around us today and we hear about all these mega disasters that are coming in and affecting everyone on earth, from the tsunami to Katrina, to the earthquake in Pakistan. And we hear about, you know, disasters wiping out hundreds of thousands of people. I'm sure that makes all of us scared and wondering, are we at the end times? Is this, is this it? Or, 
when are we going to see the Antichrist and, and so on. All these things that are happening and the media carrying them you know, quickly make people uneasy, uncomfortable. So studying also the book of Revelation may help us understand some of these events and may help us become more assured of God's love and God's you know, presence in our lives. And of course, the most important reason is God ordered us to do so. In the book of Revelation, the very, at the very beginning, God said, Blessed is the one who reads and hears the words of this pro- prophecy, and the ones keeping the things written in it, for the time is near. So we have an order to read and to hear the words of this prophecy. Okay? And the church does that exactly on the bright Saturday when Christ is in, you know, in the tomb declaring victory and preaching to the people all who went to hate before him he's declaring that the church reads all this prophecy because it talks all about victory and about the second coming and about you know, the victorious church so it reads that to remind itself remind people that maybe Christ is in the tomb now but this is only the faith and victory is going to come and we're going to live a victorious life soon. So any questions about why should we study this book? Any other comments, ideas, or objections? By the way, uh, I don't like recordings because the way I, you know, I like these discussions to go through as a discussion. It's not just a one-way street. It should be all studying and all discussing and all you know, sharing what they think of. Right. So any, any comments? Today is the first time, so we're going to let it go a little bit easy. Next time, quizzes about how. Okay. Alright, who is the writer of this book? Uh, a lot of the the father, you know, the fathers and the early church fathers basically agreed that St. John the Beloved one of the twelve disciples is the one who wrote this particular message. And he's the same person who wrote the Gospel of St. John and the three letters. So in the quiz, who's the who's the one who wrote the most in the New Testament? St. Paul, who's the second one who wrote the most in the New Testament? St. John, and who's the third one? Luke or Peter? Why Luke? Number of, uh, number of chapters are both. Number of chapters only. All right, but number of books is the same, right? Him and St. Peter is the same. Acts and St. Luke, the Gospel of St. Luke. So you wrote two books, St. Peter wrote two letters. You know, he said the number of chapters that St. Luke wrote bigger than the number of chapters that St. Peter wrote. Right. Okay. So... If we go back to find out who is really St. John, he was, you know, a little bit wealthy fisherman. He had, you know, his own boat. He had people working for him. He was the disciple of St. John the, the Baptist. And when he heard about Christ, he followed Christ. And he stayed with him since that time. And he was with Christ in the raising of Jairus' daughter. He was one of the three that Christ always took into special places with him. You know, raising, you know, Jairus' daughter, Transfiguration, Gethsemane, he was also in there during, you know, Jesus' trial. He managed to get in, and St. Peter could not. 
and he was standing next to him on the you know on the cross and he was became responsible for St. Mary and he was also one of the first two to go to the tomb and find out about the resurrection. Yes, he was one of the youngest in twelve. And that's why he lived until the end of the first century, you know, he died like you know, ninety some uh, and he saw the church until sort of the beginning of the second century. He did not he was not martyred. He was the only disciple that was not martyred actually. He stayed in Jerusalem until the departure of St. Mary, since Jesus appointed him to be responsible for St. Mary, he took care of her until she departed, and then he went on his mission outside of Jerusalem. He basically went to Asia Minor to preach there and to serve in the churches there. Uh, during the persecution against the Christians, since he was the only you know, disciple left, he was exiled by Emperor Domitian into an island called Patmos, and we'll see exactly where Patmos is. You know, the reason we say that this is St. John who wrote the gospel, the one who wrote the gospel is the same St. John who wrote this particular prophecy, is some of the special words that he's using in particular, you know, things like the word, the, the lamb, uh, the victory, the truth. These are specific words that St. John in particular used in his, you know, gospel and his letters as well. He mentioned his name in the beginning, and we'll discuss about that, why he mentions his name uh, in the book of, you know, in the prophecy, versus, for example, the, the three letters or in the gospel. He does not mention his name in, in these books. Only in this book he mentions his name, so we get to know who he is. And all, all the early fathers attributed that prophecy to him. So what are the circumstances of this particular book? Why, why was this book written? How was it written? I said the, the church was persecuted. Uh, all the other 11 disciples were martyred. And only St. John is left. And he was exiled into a small island after he was tortured. And he was there in the small island of Asia Minor. From the outside, this, you know, sect, this Jewish sect is coming to an end. People are attacking from every, every direction. The Jews are against Christianity. The Roman Empire, by all its might, is against Christianity. And those Christians, there are, they don't have an army, they don't have anywhere, and it looks like they're going to be wiped out. But then Christ appeared to St. John to assure him that he is there and he's going to protect his church, and the church is going to live forever. Okay. In addition, there were a lot of heresies, you know, several heresies coming around the church, like the millennium reign, and a lot, you know, the, the nature of Christ, and a lot of these things were still coming uh, from that time, and that also another attack on the church, not just from the outside, but also from the inside. Okay. So... You can see that when there's a lot of trouble from all directions, Christ comes in and presents the appropriate image that we need at that time to assure us of His love. And that we're going to see the relationship between our situation and the way Christ appeared to us. We're going to see that later on 
strongly in chapter 2 when he talks to Churchill. It's going to be very clear to us. So where is Patmos? This famous thing. By the way, Patmos is, you know, you know that there's another Patmos today in um, near Cairo and a lot of problems that happened there as well. That's not for St. John Y. And St. John is, you know, was in uh, this island in Greece. Okay. And if we take that circle where, where Greek is and come closer, this is basically Asia Minor. And as you can see here, uh, Patmos is here, and the seven churches are in that area. And this is Greece, right? and here you can find Crete, and there's Egypt, and uh, Palestine, and Syria to the right. It's a tiny island that, yeah, nowhere. Here is another picture for it, where today Turkey is. All the seven churches are in Asia Minor. Yes. They don't Precisely the point is they do not exist anymore. Christ warned them and told them, you know, if you do not this do this, I'll come and you know remove your candlestick. And some of them didn't do it and they were gone. All Asia Minor at one time you know, Cappadocia and Tarsus, this is Tarsus where St. Paul was, you know, born. All these places were Christian at one time. Okay. And even Constantinople, you know, was the head of the Christian church at some time. Okay. All this fell, I'm not going to say because of the strength of Islam, but because of the weakness of the Christians, weakness of the faith of the Christians. If we are weak, spiritually, God will allow others to take our place. And we're going to see exactly these messages and these warnings in this book. Okay, it was written about the year 95. Uh, that's the agreement of most of the scholars. And after the destruction of Jerusalem, that's why there's no mention of Jerusalem there and its presence. All right. How to study the book. And if you're going to do a search on the internet, you need to be careful because there are two ways to study the book, which is one way is literal. You take every single word and they're going to be an event exactly like that. They're going to be you know, a beast with ten horns, they're going to be a beast with ten horns. You know, this is going to happen. A third of the earth was going to be wiped out. Literally, a third of the earth was going to be wiped out and so on. Uh, that's a literal interpretation. And there's a spiritual interpretation. Right. So the literal interpretation said every event and symbol has an actual is an actual event that happened or will happen. So people will try to sit down and, you know, okay, uh, the first horse is this event in history and the second horse is that event in history. It spans, you know, 400 years. And that event is, you know, it's going to happen in uh, 632 years and 12 months and all these things, right? So what is the result of literal interpretation? The rapture, right? The heresy of the rapture, the heresy of the millennium reign, right? I'm going to talk what these things mean if you don't already know what they are. 
Jehovah's Witness saying, you know, there's only going to be in heaven 144,000 people, and that's it. Lock, you know, God's going to lock the doors, so you count from the beginning of humanity, from Adam and so on until now, until the, not now, until the end, only going to be 144,000 people, so good luck. Right. Uh, and then don't read the rest of the book that says it, you know, that so many that nobody can count. Take only one verse, don't take the rest of the, you know, the, you know, the book and they say that those who are saved, nobody can count. There's so many. Okay. So why not, why shouldn't we follow this interpretation, this literal interpretation? Why can't we do that? It's going to be a lot easier, a lot more fun, and you know, a lot more weird. And when you throw these weird stuff in, if you look at the internet, there was a lot of weird stuff there. Okay. St. John was describing heavenly events. Right. St. Paul tried to do that, and look what he, what he said. Right. But as it's written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. So St. Paul, he's a philosopher, he's the one who wrote more than 50% of the New Testament. When he tried to describe heaven, he said what? What eyes cannot see, has not seen, or nor ear has heard. Things he cannot describe because he's never, you know, never seen before. How can you describe something that you've never seen before? And... Another place he writes, 2 Corinthians 12.2, he said, I know a man in Christ, 14 years before, whether in the body, I do not know, or outside the body, I do not know. So even the state he was in, he can't describe whether he was went to heaven by his body or without his body. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or outside the body, I do not know, uh, God knows, that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not allowed for a man to utter. When? Uh, I think around uh, 60, 60 or 70 AD. What he's talking about here? About himself. Yes. But out of his humility, he's not saying, I was saying, I know a man. But he was here, he was boasting about himself about, you know, comparing himself to the other apostles, so he can compare also his, you know, message. So, everyone is saying that he was talking about himself, but he was taken up to heaven. And he saw, he used to say, St. Paul, uh, there's a sermon by Abuna Dawood uh, Lam'i, uh, and he sort of enumerates how many times St. Paul saw visions. And when you really pay attention, throughout the book of Acts and throughout his letters, he was seeing visions like you know on a regular basis I mean he, he had the door open to heaven that you know every other day somebody from there comes and talks to him and you know he sees things there so he was a great man uh, right. if we go back to the uh, book of revelation itself and see what God ordered us to do he ordered us you know he said blessed is the one who reads and hears the words of this prophecy and the ones keeping the things written in it for the time is near so the commandment we have is to read and to hear not to understand not to explain not to relate this particular events we need to hear them and 
memorize them so when they happen we can understand it. Let me ask you a question. If I take you 2,000 years ago, or if I bring somebody from, you know, 2,000 years ago into today's world, you've never seen, an, you know, a TV, never seen a computer, never seen a laptop. He looks at this table and see all these gadgets, you know, sitting here, you know, devices speaking human voice and carrying voice across the space and images and all that. What do you think this person, how this person is going to describe him? How do you think a person, you know, I'm not going to say from 2,000 years ago, from the Amazon forest who never seen a human being before, other human, you know, civilized human before, and you tell him, describe this laptop or describe this TV. How is he going to describe it? It's not in his terminology. He doesn't have these words to describe it. So he's going to say what, like, what is he going to use? A rock that speaks and puts images and has evil spell on it and, you know, these kind of things. So what I'm trying to say is that if you don't, if you don't have these things in your, in your vocabulary, how can you describe it? The same thing. St. John saw things in heaven which we do not know what it is. And he's using a vocabulary, an earthly vocabulary, to describe these events and these things. The same way when God describes himself in the Old Testament or even New Testament, he uses human terms like God became angry, you know, I'm gonna, you know, forget about your sins and God doesn't forget God doesn't God that doesn't change. But he uses expressions that you and I can can understand and can relate to because of our humanity. He cannot describe us describe to us himself in his own terms because we're not gonna understand. Also, the numbers of, of the Bible, and particularly in the book of Revelations, are very symbolic. For example, which day we're living in today from the days of creation? Seventh day. has an end. So, a day is, you know, in the Bible, doesn't really mean 24 hours. The numbers have symbols, have meanings. Again, we're going to see that the number of people who are saved, in one place he says, that nobody can count in another place it says 144,000 is it nobody can count or is 144,000 and we're going to see the meaning of each alright let's take another example from the Bible and try to understand it in Isaiah 7.14 so the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold the virgin will conceive and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his, his name Emmanuel. What does the word aversion will conceive? How can aversion conceive? Simeon, when he tried to translate that, didn't make sense to him. To a normal person, aversion does not conceive. She does not become a virgin at that time. She's married to a person, and then uh, she becomes a maiden. And he tried to change the translation, but he couldn't, because an angel appeared to him and told him, you're not going to die until you see that. So if we try to explain things in the Old Testament without knowing the incarnation, without knowing what Christ been through and how he was born and how he was suffered and how we cannot explain these things in the Old Testament. For example, Psalm, you know, Psalm 22 when David describing, you know, the cross. You can't explain that on David because David never suffered that way. You only can explain it when you see Christ in, fr you know, in front of you on the cross. 
But before that, these events are, have no meaning. So you're supposed to memorize them and keep them as is until you see them happening. Say, ah, this is this. He was writing the Septuagint, uh, you know, translation, Septuagint translation. Uh, yeah. He lived very early on, you know, that was, you know, I'm not sure exactly when, but when he was writing the Septuagint uh, translation, he was trying to change that word from virgin. When did Simeon, you know, have this vision about the, the virgin? Same thing, Isaiah 53. You read Isaiah 53 has no meaning until you, you see Christ in front of you and then you make the relationship. All the sacrifice in the Old Testament, uh, the whole Old Testament, you know, in reality doesn't mean a whole lot until you see Christ, until you see the New Testament, and then you can relate the relationship between what happened in the Old Testament and the salvation and the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ and, you know, his life and his suffering and his death and resurrection. Then all the events of the Old Testament make sense. A very interesting, you know, event uh, happened when the disciples were asking Christ about the end of Jerusalem and the end of the world. Uh, and Christ, basically, the, the disciples thought that the end of the Jerusalem means the end of the world. And, disciple, uh, and Christ did not really negate that idea from their mind, but what he did is he gave them signs about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he told them, when you see the, you know, the sign, as you can see in uh, Matthew 24, you know, the abomination of desolation uh, on the temple, everyone runs, you know, to the field. If you're on the rooftop, don't go inside to get enclosed, just run away. If you're in the field, don't come back to the city, run away. Didn't mean anything until the Roman surrounded Jerusalem and they kept, you know, kept it surrounded for, you know, for a long period of time and finally they made a last attempt to get in and, you know, conquer the walls but they couldn't, so they put in the sign of the Roman Empire like the flag on the, on the temple. So when the Christians saw that, they said, this is the sign that Christ is talking about and they immediately ran away. Upon this happened in year 70 and immediately afterwards the whole Jerusalem was destructed and you know, millions of people died up until that time up until that year year 70 this prophecy from Christ had no meaning you can't say ah because Christ said that it means that this is going to happen and when I see this particular event I will be able to understand it cannot do it that way what we can say is that we memorize and know this prophecy and what is going to happen is going to be very clear to us that this prophecy is what Christ taught, you know, told us about it or what St. John told us about it. And again, the Lord told St. John, write these things and don't write these things. 
So you really don't have the full picture. You don't have everything that's going to happen. There are missing gaps. You know, like you're seeing the story, but you know, few chapters taken away. How big are these chapters? How relevant they are? How important they are? We don't know. So we really cannot say that we, we understand the whole picture of what's going to happen because we're probably missing most of it. Yes, we can't give a literal interpretation of things. So the Lord allowed us only to know certain events. There are certain people, right? and this is recorded, but you know, that's fine. Unfortunately, some of them are from our church, bishops from our church, who came out and said, the end of the world is going to be in so such and such. And they had, you know, they published books that predicted the end of the world, October 2001. And I guess we're a little bit past October 2001. And when in the book they were justifying what they're saying is that the Lord said you do not know the day or the hour. So they said we're not trying to predict the day or the hour, we're trying to predict the month and the year. Okay. So they're going about in legalistic terms here. But that's not correct. Jehovah's Witness said Christ came in 1914. How, where, when, how? Okay. Other people, you know, took, take certain events, like for example, the fall of Jerusalem into the hand of the uh, Israelites in, you know, 1967. They take that date and they calculate certain things and they tell you, oh, this is when, you know, when the Antichrist is supposed to come. And all these dates are false. And we're going to go through some of them just to make you aware of these problems and these, you know, uh, profit, uh, these, you know, uh, heresies that are out there. So we can't take these prophecies in the Bible and the, in the Revelation as literal interpretations. The spiritual interpretation, however, benefits everyone in every nation at any time regardless of how close we are or how far we are from the second coming. Okay. Again, our goal here in the Bible study is to grow spiritually and come close to Christ, not to uh, focus on predicting certain dates. The events can happen multiple times. They can repeat itself in different ways on different levels. And they're still going to be fulfilled in this way. So how are we going to study it? Again, we will follow the spiritual interpretation. The references, of course, are going to be all Coptic Orthodox references. The Pope Shenouda has like 10, uh, I'm sorry, 14 sermons about the Book of Revelation. But his level is, you know, way up here. He takes one verse and he spends two hours talking about a verse. Not even a verse, a word. And he spends literally one hour talking about one word. Oh, I don't think we'll be able to do that. Abu Nathadros Ya'oub Malati, he has a wonderful book in, Arab, in Arabic and English, Revelation, and it's available in PDF online. Okay, this is going to be the, the reference book we'll follow. Abu right. Antonius uh, Fikri, he was my Sunday school teacher, so that's why I'm biased to him a little bit. Uh, he has, you know, also a book, uh, also a PDF, but I have the, the old one. Uh, it's a very good summary. 
and there's Abuna Dawood, Dawood Suleiman, another good book. And I'm going to have actually try to put all these uh, Arabic sermons together on a single MP3 CD and make it available. Right. From all these references, you know, Abuna Shnuda, Baba Shnuda, uh, Abuna Antonius, Abuna Dawood, all in one uh, on one CD and make it available. So you don't have to come here. Right. All right, so let's take a five-minute break and come back and uh, continue.